0: I'm sitting in the Wesleyan Church headquarters. You will note behind me a map. And a map with post-it notes. Those are prayer requests. Today I bring you a large prayer request. And that prayer request is for the suffering people in Sierra Leone and Liberia, West Africa. Why do we bring that to you today? Because the Wesleyan Church has been in Sierra Leone literally over 100 years. And Liberia less years than that. And I want to bring you our family Our Wesleyan family of some 300 churches and over 50,000 Wesleyan, your Wesleyan brothers and sisters, they are suffering. They are suffering under this Ebola crisis at this time. The outbreak is focused in one of the areas in Sierra Leone where most Wesleyans live. I'm appealing to you today to pray. God can heal. God can deliver. But at the same time, he's also calling us to do what we can do to prevent this disease and to stop it. The Wesleyan Church has a hospital, and the hospital is in Kamaqui, which is in the north part of the country. This hospital services over 100,000 people, the only hospital for these folks. And at present, we do not even have a doctor in this hospital. Therefore, I'm calling on you to give. We need to give so that we can supply this hospital But I also want to tell you that we have uh, medical personnel from the United States that are going. Next week, Carrie Jo Kendi Kane is going. She's a medical person. Carrie Jo grew up in Sierra Leone. She knows the language. And she's going directly to the hospital to help the hospital to be prepared with supplies that we want to send with her with the funds that you are giving. After that, Dr. Diane Foley will be going. Dr. Diane Foley will be working with Usman Forna, the national superintendent, and World Hope out in the communities doing training and helping people to prevent this horrible, deadly disease. You've seen it on TV. You've seen the need. And I want to tell you that today the Wesleyan Church and World Hope are standing together with their Wesleyan brothers and sisters in Sierra Leone and Liberia. Will you please stand with us? And we're praying that during this time people may see the gospel of Jesus in new ways and that out of evil may come good. In other words, we overcome evil with good and out of this evil we will see people come to Jesus Christ and love him for who he is. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for who you are and may God bless us as we work together for his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven.
1: Good morning. We do want to continue in prayer for this Ebola crisis that is going on, and as you are praying and God leads you perhaps to give, uh, maybe he'll, he'll teach you other ways that we can help, but as God's people come together, um, may we pray and pray and pray that he will um, provide deliverance, and we know, that we know that he will. Please stand and join us as we begin our service of worship by singing our praises to God. Holy Father you are everything that we need you provide for us you love us you teach us you are the almighty God and creator of the universe and yet you love each one of us these small frail human beings we thank you We thank you for loving us. We thank you for guiding us each day. And we pray that today you would open our hearts, open our minds to receive all that you have to teach us. It is in your most holy name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. At this time, we'd like to invite the ushers forward to receive our morning tithes and offerings.
2: A lot of burdens and concerns, people, situations that are connected to us right here. There are things going on around the world that are very troubling to us, concerning. And uh, we realize that God is the answer to all of these things, whether they are those things connected right to us or things that are distant from us. God is the answer to those And that's why when we come together, a part of our time is praying. We are um, also including, as you may have seen in your bulletin tomorrow, from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., we're going to be joining with the college in a a time of prayer, um, somewhat like the prayer vigils that we've done here, but 12 hours up in the prayer chapel uh, in the basement of Wesley Chapel on the college campus. You can come and go. There will be someone there all the time, but you don't need to sign up to come Stay as long as you want. Uh, You can come and have people pray for you or just come and, and pray as we think about the needs and the burdens and the concerns that are on our hearts and that are a part of our lives and our world. And this morning we also have the opportunity to pray together. And if you would like as we pray to come kneel at the altar, use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers for yourself, for someone else, for our world then please come and join me as we pray together. Heavenly Father, as we gather today, we come recognizing how often we fall short of You and Your desires for us, Your dreams and plans for us. And we come to acknowledge our sin, to acknowledge our failing, and to acknowledge that You are The God who forgives. Lord, as we gather today, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your mercy and grace in our lives. And we thank you for calling us to pray. To pray about the burdens in our lives. To pray about the burdens in the lives of those we love. To pray for this world in which we see so much pain father this morning as as we think about the world we pray for Mick and Nora Suman and ask that you would help them as they as they look to the future and we ask you to lead them guide them give them peace about the uncertainty of their future we pray father for all who are grieving today we think of the uh, tragedies of our world and the grief that we see in our brothers and sisters who face persecution in the the ongoing push of groups like ISIS and we ask that you will bring an end to the violence the evil lord we pray that that you will you will protect your people and you will protect all the people of the world that you've created and love. We ask for an end to the violence. We pray that our brothers and sisters and who go through things that are really difficult for us to comprehend that you would be their shield the protector and that in them there would be The presence of light and hope and grace through Christ. Father, we pray for the needs that we represent, the needs here, right around us. We do think of people in our midst who are grieving, and we pray for your mercy and grace upon us in our grief and our loss. We pray, Father, this morning for the family of Al Rain, who died yesterday. And we ask that you will comfort them and encourage them. And for others who are grieving, pour out your spirit of grace and healing. Father, we pray for those among us, for ourselves, in our struggles of issues of health and relationships and the burdens and and difficulties that are a part of living in this fallen world. We pray, Father, for Bruce and Alton, for Matt and Dick, for Isla, for Bev and Edna, for Linda and Micah and Bill, and for Crystal and Emily and others who are on our hearts and on our minds today today. And we pray for your healing grace in each of them. We do pray, Father, for an end, a speedy solution to the Ebola disease that is spreading and creating such devastation. We pray, Father, for the medical needs, for the emotional needs the fear and anxiety that are a part of all of this that is happening. And we pray for your healing. Father, we thank you for your mercy in our lives. Thank you for being present with us in our worship. We pray that you will be glorified in all that we do in this time together. And as we leave this place, may we be different people than we've come because we have encountered you, the holy, loving, gracious God. We pray this through Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our returning King, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together.
3: Scripture reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation.
1: Please stand and join us as we sing together. And children may be dismissed at this time for Children's Church and Junior Church.
2: Before you're seated, take a moment to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Know anyone like that? Okay, so, you know, last spring I said to you what I thought was this brilliant idea. Um, what do you want to hear a sermon about? What questions do you have? And I got over a hundred responses, which was amazing, and uh, thank you for, get, for sending those to me, though I'm not thanking all of you for all the questions that you sent to me. Um. Quite honestly, as I started reading through those, I'm thinking, "Oh boy, what have I gotten myself into here?" But actually, I think that there, there's some really profound questions that you're asking, and I am both excited, uh, nervous, anxious, uh, uncertain about trying to answer the questions that you ask. Now, obviously, can't answer all. I can't deal with all of those questions. I've tried to weave some of the questions into different questions into the same sermon. But hopefully we'll hit on the majority of the questions that may be on your mind. And the bookmarks that you have, in, they're in your bulletin. We have more in the back. I think if you need, if you want to grab another one, feel free to hand those out. Give them out to people. This is uh, this, where we're headed over the next couple of months. Thinking about some of the questions that you asked. It's interesting as you think through history, often the church has been hesitant for people to ask questions. We've actually discouraged questions, and in fact, you can get yourself in trouble asking questions in the church. People who want to challenge things, who, who say, I don't understand that, or that doesn't make sense to me, or I'm not sure that's true, have often been treated harshly. And that's too bad, it's wrong. It's as though we're afraid to be honest with each other and, quite frankly, in the end, being honest with God about the struggles that we have to understand the things about God. I think God welcomes our questions because it's only when we ask questions that we learn. You know, you've been in classes where the teacher will say, look, if you have a question, ask it. You'll never never know until you ask the question. But we're always hesitant. I've been in classes where... I had questions and I was afraid to ask because I didn't want to look stupid. I've also been on the other side of the desk where I'm begging people to ask questions because I want to know what people need to learn. And I think God is saying to us, ask your questions. He doesn't have anything to be afraid of. He doesn't have anything to hide. Ask the questions. And that's what we're going to try to do over the course of the next few months. As I looked over the questions that that uh, were you sent to me, we, we not only asked uh, just generally in church, we also went to uh, some of our children's Sunday school classes and asked them to ask questions. And quite frankly, they had some pretty profound questions. And one of the questions that jumped out at me was simply this. What color is God? What color is God? Now, I suspect that was a question that was directed at, if God had skin, what color would his skin be? And we know Jesus obviously is God in flesh, and we tend to think of Jesus as probably looking white American. I don't think he was and it got me thinking about how we think of god what image comes to our mind because we when we think of god we can't we we need something concrete and so that concrete picture quite frankly if we're honest that concrete picture in our minds about god probably looks like us if we are American, whatever that means, he's going to look American to us. If we are African, he's going to look African. If we're Chinese, he's going to look Chinese. If we're Korean, he's going to look Korean. Whatever our, whatever, whatever we look like, that's the image we, are probably, we probably have of God when we imagine him in concrete form. That's natural. But if you take that one more step... It isn't just about this physical image of God that we have in our mind so that we have something concrete. It's also about the nature of God. Not just what does God look like, but what is God like? What's his character? What's his nature? And I suspect that most of the time, because it's our natural human tendency, that God's nature again, resembles us. What we tend to do, what we certainly see in Scripture, is we take, God becomes for us just an image that is just bigger and more of whatever than we are. But he's still like us. And we think of the best we can be, we try to move God to beyond that as far as we can think, and that's where we sit. And that's a problem. Because that means we are creating God in our image. And scripture tells us God creates us in his image. And the image that we create of God, if we create God in our image, that means the characteristics of us are going to be the characteristics of God. And I don't know about you, but that means God has some issues. The great uh, theologian, pastor, author, A.W. Tozer once said... What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And quite frankly, all the other questions that we're going to be dealing with over the next few months are rooted in what we're talking about today. If we don't get our image of God right, everything else is going to be a problem. And we will wrestle all of our lives to try to get this image of God correctly because we all live with what David Siemens calls damaged receptors. We, because of sin, our sin, the sin that's in the world, because of the experiences we have, the way people treat us, the things people do to us, the disappointments of life, all of these things that happen, we have what he calls damaged receptors. And he says, God gives us this clear image of himself. It is a perfectly straight line. It is all that God is, is right and good and true. But because of, of sin, it gets twisted and damaged and what ends up coming out is a skewed view of God. And we live with this image of God that is not what we find in the scriptures. It is not what God says about himself. It is an image that we have created. And we have to work at that. Harry Emerson Fosdick was a longtime pastor of Riverside Church in New York City, and he was near Columbia University, and students would often come to him for, for help. And one day, a student burst into his office and said, Dr. Fosdick, I don't believe in God anymore. And Fosdick said, okay, tell me about the God you don't believe in. And he began to tell him about this God. And when we got done, Fosdick said, well, we're in the same boat because I don't believe in that God either. <laughs> and that's because of our damaged receptors. And we have to get a clear image of who God is. He is not just a being who is an an extended form of us. He is other than us. The core of God's being is that he is other than us. Yes, there is something of the image of God in us. But God is not us to the 28th power. He is completely other than us. He's other than us in, in his character, in his holiness. He is not common. One of the things that we find in, in the Old Testament when we talk about God is that is the, that God is not common. In fact, to profane God is to treat him as if he is common. And he's not. It's hard for us to grasp this, but God is perfect. We struggle with that because we're not. Sometimes we like to think we're perfect, but we're not. We know that. And if God is simply a projection of ourselves, He will be imperfect. But Scripture tells us that God is holy, He's perfect. Everything God does is right and true without exception. He always does what is right, He thinks about us in ways that are right. He perceives everything rightly, and somehow to get that into our minds is so important because it is at the root of the character and the nature of who God is. You think about God's power, and it's difficult again for us if we think that God is just an extension of us. Then His power is limited because we're limited. How many times every day do we run into obstacles that we can do nothing about? Do we run into difficulties that we look at and wish we could do something and we can't? God always can. In this passage we read from Exodus... God says to Moses, I've seen seen what's happening with my people. I'm going to bring them out of Egypt. And as you read on through Exodus, he does exactly that. He brings his people out of Egypt. Pharaoh, as powerful as Pharaoh is, he's no match for God. As powerful as as the, the gods of Egypt may be, they are no match for God. And that is so important for us because we live in a world where sometimes it appears as if God... Is no match for what's going on. And we we worry and we fret because we underlying our view of the world is quite frankly what J.B. Phillips called a small view of God. Back in the fifties, he wrote a little book called Your God is Too Small, and Our God Usually Is Too Small. We live with this puny view of God. And, and I know that's true because we all wrestle with all the things going on in the world. And it ought to bother us. And it ought to concern us. And it ought to, to break our hearts. But, it, but as Christians, as followers of the Almighty God, we ought not to be in despair. And sometimes it feels like we've given in to despair and we throw up our hands and we say, wow, the world is, is, is done. It's over. And we act as though God is not in control. We act as though it's too much for God. Because we are living with an image of God that looks like us. Is it too much for us? You better believe it. But not God. I find it interesting as you read this passage in Exodus, and you see this throughout the scriptures. that not only is God declaring his holiness and his power, but he also says to Moses, I will be with you. It's fascinating to me that the God who created all things, brought everything into existence, tells us he's holy, he's perfect, all power is in his hands, says I will be with you. I also find it interesting that God not only says, I'll be with you, but he identifies himself with human beings. Twice in this passage, he says to Moses, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I was pondering that this week, and it's almost as though, I hope this... It comes across right, but it's almost as though God and Abraham walk into a room. And the guy in the room knows Abraham and says hello to him. He has no idea who God is. And he looks at God and God says, I'm with Abraham. He identifies himself with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He says, I'm with them. What kind of a God would do that except a God who wants to be with us, who identifies with us, who is willing to come out of this this place that we so distant from us and be with us. And of course, the ultimate expression of that is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He comes, he's with us. As we go through our lives and we face difficulties and struggles and pains and we feel alone, God is always there. Despite who he is, he is not a god who is distant. He is a god who is present. Sometimes I don't think we as as Christians are necessarily tempted to be atheists, but I do wonder sometimes if we aren't tempted to be deists. We believe in God, but we live our lives as though God isn't there. As though God isn't active in the world. As though God isn't with us as we go through our lives. We live with this sense of if we don't do it, it's all done. And the scriptures tell us over and over and over again, He is with us. And ultimately, it is the expression of His love that is with us. Bonhoeffer used to say, Love doesn't define God. God defines love. And John is really saying that in his first letter. He says, God is love. You want to know what love is? Look at God. God is love. Craig Barnes says that when you think about the love of God, there is something in us that wants to, that, that we believe... God loves us because of something we do. Our performances, our sacrifices, the fact that we love him. John says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Paul writes to the Romans and says, before you you loved God, he loved you. And Barnes goes on to say that there is nothing more we can do to make God love us. And there is nothing less we can do to make God love us. He simply loves us. And there is something about the love of God that is not just, I love you. But when God, this is the God who comes among us... He's saying to us, not only do I love you, I like you. And I think that's different. You know, sort of, sometimes as Christians, we, we, we feel like, well, we're obligated to love people. It's a whole different thing when we say we like them. I like being around them. I like spending time with them. I like doing things with them. The great God of the universe, who is completely other than us, says to every one of us, I like you. I want to be with you. And wrapped up in all of that is his grace. His grace that keeps reaching out to us. The reason we struggle, I think, to believe that God loves us and likes us is because we keep rejecting him. We keep disappointing him. We keep pushing him away from us. And the grace of God keeps pursuing us. In the 31st chapter of Jeremiah, there is this long speech that Jeremiah gives in the words of God. This is written to the Israelites who are in exile. They've rejected God a million times. And ultimately God says, I'm going to send you into exile to hopefully, hopefully help you to see the, the, what your sin is doing to you. And I'm sure they have felt like God's given up on them. And then Jeremiah Maya writes and God says in to, through the prophet, I'm bringing you back to myself. I'm bringing you back. I'm going to restore you. We're going to wipe the slate clean. We're going to start all over again. Because I am the God of second chances. Actually, he's the God of millionth chances. The truth of the matter is the grace of God means he never gives up on us. He never, ever gives up on us. It doesn't matter what we're wrestling with and it doesn't matter how many times we have failed at it. It might be lying, it might be, a lying, might be cheating, it might be some kind of sexual sin, it might be some habit that we can't break and we keep trying and we do better for a while and then we fall back into it again. It doesn't matter what it is. God never gives up on us. I think it's one of the most difficult things for us to truly grasp not just with our minds but in our hearts that the God who is other than us never ever gives up on us he keeps calling us back to himself probably no clearer picture of that He's given us in the scriptures in the story that we call the prodigal son. As Tim Keller points out, it probably ought to be called the prodigal sons. And actually the book he writes about that, that parable, he calls the prodigal God. That's probably what the story ought to be called. He talks about how in this story... The father keeps pursuing both of his sons as they reject him in different ways. The one son runs from his father, takes his inheritance, wastes all of it, comes back. And before he can even ask for forgiveness, the father runs to him, embraces him, throws a party because he's come home. The elder son who has stayed there, the good son. Probably more like you and me than the other one. Finds out what's happening and sits out back, pouting and whining. He's angry at his father. And what does the father do? Wait in the house until his son gets it together and comes in? No, he goes out to his son. He humiliates himself. And goes out to his son and says, what's wrong? Come on. Everything I have is yours. Come in. Let's enjoy the party. He keeps pursuing him, offering him grace and love. And that God does the same thing with you and me. Day after day after day. God keeps pursuing us, calling us, yearning for us. And in return, God says, just surrender to me. Trust me. It feels like risk to surrender. It always feels like risk to trust. But if God is who he says he is, then what are we really risking? What are we really giving up? See, so we want to control God. We want to put God into a box, into our image, because it makes us feel more comfortable. It makes us feel more settled. It makes us feel like we've got a good handle on things and God is ours. But our image of God just creates bondage for us. And God wants us to live in freedom. He wants us to have life, abundant life, that comes from a connecting with him as he is, not as we have made him. He's asking us to give up our desire to control him. Let go. And let him be God who he is. The one who says to Abraham, I am who I am. Or sometimes translate, I will be who I will be. And the truth of the matter is we can't control God. We, we don't even fight to control God. We think we do, but really he is who he is. The question is just are we going to accept that, surrender to him or Not. It's like arguing about whether two plus two equals four. We can argue about it all we want. But it doesn't change the fact that if you have two things and you add two things to it, you have four things. We can argue about who God is. We can challenge God. We can fight with God. We can wrestle with God. We can struggle for control with God. But the reality is God is who he says he is. And the question for us is will we Surrender to him. Trust him. And find in that surrender and trust freedom and life and joy. Or do we keep fighting and live in the bondage of the God that we have created in our own image. Who is weak and puny and small and limited. It's an old legend that was well known in the, in the mountains of Nepal about a, a god that was built up in the mountainside, and this god was made of wax. And the people of the valley below would, would come and up to them, climb up to the mountain, to the cool air of the mountain, and they would worship before this god of wax. After years and years of doing that, someone got the idea that wouldn't it be easier and better to bring that God down from the mountainside into the valley? It would be a lot more convenient. A lot less of a struggle. They could worship more often. So that's what they did. What they didn't realize is that the temperature in the valley was much warmer than the temperature on the mountain. And as this god of wax sat in the middle of the village, he began to sag and melt in the heat. Well, it disturbed them at first, and then they realized this was an opportunity. There were things about this god that really they didn't like. And so they took this opportunity to, Some them felt like the, the god's face was very stern. So they reshaped it into an image that looked much more appealing. Some of them didn't like the body structure of the God, and so they reshaped this, this uh, warm wax into the shape that they wanted. And they felt very satisfied about it when they were done. But in the heat, it just continued to sag. And because they had messed with this God and had their hands on this God and shaped this God, it didn't seem quite as godly. So the people began to come and tear off pieces of wax, take them home and use the wax to heat their homes and cook their food. And this continued for a long time until all of a sudden they came one day and there was no more wax, no more God. And the reality is, when we try to shape God in our own image, he becomes no god at all he just becomes us and we are very poor gods to worship can we see god for who he is can we see God as the one who is other than us, holy, perfect. Everything He does for us is always in our best interests. It's God of power who, who has things in His hands, He's in control. It's God who is with us in love and grace and mercy. we're willing to surrender. Take our hands off. Let him be God and celebrate being his children. As Tozer says, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Who is God to you? Holy Father, you know how much we struggle to shape you in our own image. Give us the ability to see you as you are. and to surrender to you. Father, in this moment of silence, speak into our hearts. About whatever it is about you that we have twisted and turned, missed. And give us a new vision of you, of who you are and of you in our lives and in our world. Father, we worship you for who you are. We surrender ourselves to you, knowing that there is no better place for us than to worship at your feet. Through Christ, we pray.
1: Stand as we sing together.